We have arrived at the third week of Advent. This season of longing, of anticipation, as we await the arrival of Jesus, not only in his birth at Christmas, but his ultimate arrival when he returns and makes all things new. And so we're continuing through the book of Revelation during this season. This letter filled with all kinds of strange apocalyptic visions that ultimately lead to the prayer, Come, Lord Jesus. Uh, where The final verses of the book uh, is that prayer. This book's strange and wild images are ultimately meant to cultivate a longing in us so that we too might join that prayer, Come, Lord Jesus. That's what all of this is for. So if you have a Bible... Go ahead and open up to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 is where we'll begin this week. And if if you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to grab one out of the seat in front of you and follow along. We'll be jumping around a bit today, and it might be helpful if you're able to have that in front of you and follow along. So Revelation chapter 12 is where we're heading. As you turn there, a question for you all. Does anyone here enjoy musical theater? Any musical fans? Yeah? A few? What what are some of your favorite musicals that that you've seen? Shout it out from where you are. Les Mis? Mm. Oklahoma? That's fun. Yeah. Wicked. Yeah. Sound of Music. The Music Man. That's the very first musical I ever saw in person. Uh, My mother brought me to see it. Loved that one. Ah. As a kid, one of my favorites was Phantom of the Opera. Phantom of the Opera. Andrew Lloyd Webber, uh, you know, just one of the classics. It was the longest running musical on Broadway up until this past year when it finally closed. Um, I grew up listening to the soundtrack of Phantom of the Opera um, and was thrilled to actually go see it on Broadway with my younger brother a few years ago. It felt like a child's dream come true to actually be there and see it and hear all the, the music and that big pipe organ that kicks the whole thing off, if you're familiar with it. Um, now, as a child, I remember listening to the soundtrack constantly. We had it on a cassette tape uh, and put it in the car, and our car's cassette tape player had that thing where it would just automatically play the next side without having to pull it out and flip it, and so it would just play in a circle forever uh, if you just kept it playing. So every time we were driving anywhere, Phantom of the Opera was playing, Uh, and so I would sing along. I knew every note. Um, I absolutely loved it. Now, here's the thing. As a kid, I loved the music, uh, but I had absolutely no idea what the story was. And uh, it wasn't until later when I eventually saw it that I realized how actually disturbing the story 
of Phantom of the Opera is. Uh, I mean, if you know the characters, Christine is this kind woman with a beautiful voice who's reunited with her childhood friend, Raul, and the two of them share this budding romance. And then there's the Phantom, brooding, self-obsessed, menacing, who seeks ultimately to kill Raul and steal Christine and her voice for himself. Uh, it's pretty dark and disturbing. Uh, ultimately, in the end, Christine and Raul get away together and it all works out. Um, but yeah, it's got some dark twists and turns in it. So, turning to the book of Revelation, uh, we've already seen that it's a musical, right? I mean, all throughout the book, there are these constant song breaks where we hear these glimpses of the worship in the heavenly throne room where God is on the throne and the Lamb is there and they're singing, worthy, worthy is the Lamb and the one on the throne. Um, and that image that we've talked about of the throne and the Lamb is the central image in the book of Revelation. We are introduced to it in chapters 4 and 5. We get glimpses back at it throughout and then at the very end in chapters 21, and 22, we return to that throne and the Lamb, right? This is the central image that we have to hold on to and remember throughout the whole story. Um, but then throughout Revelation, we also see a number of darker, more disturbing, and menacing elements as well. Uh, much like Christine and the Phantom, Revelation has a storyline of a woman who is pursued by a self-obsessed, brooding figure. The storyline uh, of this begins in Revelation chapter 12, where we're introduced to a woman and a dragon. And as the story continues throughout the book, we see other monsters and uh, feminine figures emerge. This is the storyline I'd like to consider together today. Uh, we're going to read different snippets of it throughout, so I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and then we'll enter in. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of your word and for these images and stories that are meant to grab our hearts and imaginations and draw us into longing for you. God, I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture together today, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the storyline we're looking at today, there are five main characters uh, that we'll be looking at. And um, much like you would, if you're going to see a musical, have a playbill that tells you the characters, uh, I'll share them with you very briefly. And I've got images from our friends at the Bible Project to um, help us go along. So the first person we're introduced to is this woman. Uh, who we'll read about in a moment. And she's very quickly followed up by a dragon. Uh, and then the next characters that we will see are some beasts 
that are associated with this dragon. And as we continue through the story, we see another woman, a prostitute, who is riding on the back of one of these beasts. But ultimately, in this storyline, there is a bride who is waiting her wedding feast with the lamb. All right? These are the, the, the characters that we're going to be looking at. The woman, the dragon, some beasts, a prostitute, and a bride. So the first characters in the storyline are the woman and the dragon. Let's read about them in the opening verses of chapter 12. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So this is the first storyline that we have as we're introduced to the woman and the dragon. What do we make of all of this? Well, one of the issues that people run into with the book of Revelation and this kind of literature with so much imagery is trying to assign all of the images a single meaning, right? Uh, people get caught up in this meaning and that meaning and so on and so forth until it all becomes a confusing mess, right? Um, but the images of Revelation are not meant to work that way. Um, they're much more, we were talking about this earlier in the conversation hour, like a prism. You shine light on it, and just a myriad of colors radiate forth, right? One image, but so many different meanings and layers to it. Um, it, the images of Revelation are like a kaleidoscope, right? You look through it, it's beautiful and, and wild, and then you twist it a little, and it's a little bit different and something else. Uh, this is what the images of Revelation are like. Take that central image of the throne room with the Lamb, right? 
Uh, if, if you recall how this goes, one of the elders around the throne says, look, the Lion of Judah has come. And then we turn and we see a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Well, the Lion of Judah is an echo of a blessing spoken by Jacob towards the end of the book of Genesis. The slain lamb is a picture that hints back at the Passover when the people spread blood over their doorposts in the book of Exodus. And then later on in other chapters, we hear the lamb described as being like a shepherd and leading them by streams of water which sounds quite a bit like Psalm 23, the shepherd leading uh, the sheep, right? So here's the question. This lion-lamb shepherd in the book of Revelation, it's all one character, right? So does that character refer to Genesis? Does it refer back to Exodus? Or does it refer back to the Psalms? Yes, the answer is yes, right? It is not any one of these. It's all of these. That's the artistry of the story in Revelation. That's the depth of these images. They all have echoes and resonance throughout all of Scripture. So in chapter 12, we're introduced to a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Who is this woman? What kinds of pictures uh, does this image refer to? Well, there's a lot of things, all right? Uh, she's clothed with the sun, moon, and stars. So in some way, she's like a picture of all creation. And she cries out in pain. I'm reminded of Paul's words in Romans 8. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Right? So this woman, in some ways, is, is all of creation groaning to be redeemed. But then this woman is confronted by the dragon, who's later referred to as that ancient serpent called the devil. Right? So in many ways, this woman is like Eve, who was pursued by a serpent in the garden, about whom it was said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel, right? And so this woman is like a picture of Eve giving birth to the one who will strike the serpent and the serpent will bite at that one's heel. But then the woman flees the deadly threats of the dragon and escapes to the wilderness where God takes care of her. This reminds me a lot of the book of Exodus when Israel escaped from the death threats of Pharaoh and wandered in the wilderness where God provided manna, quail, and water from the rock for them. But then, of course, this woman is giving birth to a Messiah figure who will be raised up to heaven. And so for us, we cannot help but think of Mary, right? Giving birth to Jesus, who then is pursued by the embittered King Herod, 
right? We hear hints of that story here. Fun idea for you next week when you're celebrating Christmas with your family. Tell them all, hey, let's take a moment and read the story of the birth of the Messiah. Then crack open Revelation chapter 12. (laughs) The woman, the dragon, right? Oh man, I want to hear how that goes. Let me know, right? Finally, in verse 17 of Revelation 12, we are told that the dragon will pursue the rest of this woman's offspring who are described as those who keep God's commandments and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. And this makes me think of the church, which is tasked with birthing and raising up followers of Jesus in every age. So once more, the question, who is this woman? Is she creation, adorned with the sun, moon, and stars? Is she Eve, whose child would crush the serpent? Is she Israel, rescued and cared for by God in the wilderness? Is she Mary, giving birth to Jesus, the Messiah? Is she the church? cultivating faith in new generations of Jesus' followers? Which one is it? Yes, right? It's all of these in one beautiful, dense image of this woman pursued by the dragon. This woman is a little bit of all of these, and it's an incredible thing to pause and ponder at all of these different echoes and references and layers contained in this single picture worth more than a thousand words. I mean, it's worth like this whole thing, right? Um, But here's the thing. You don't have to know all of these layers to understand the picture, any more than you have to know music theory to appreciate a song, right? I mean, we can talk about all the different notes that make up a song. We can talk about complex chord progressions and stuff. And hey, that's fun if you're a music nerd, right? That's great. And you can dig into all of that. But you don't need to understand all of that to appreciate music. The song of this image is this. Those who are loved by God are pursued by God's enemy. The ones who are loved by God are attacked by God's enemy. This is true in every one of those images. And it's true in this story here. Those who are loved by God, creation, Eve, Mary, Israel, the church, are pursued by God's enemy, the devil, the Satan, the one who leads the whole world astray. That's the picture here. And every follower of Jesus will have experienced this at some point. Every temptation, every discouragement, every accusation is the dragon trying to devour any life that might come from you. 
trying to destroy any bit of God's kingdom that might be established in you and through you. This is the war that we live in the midst of. We are those loved by God, pursued by the enemy of God. But we are not alone. Remember Michael? We read about him in Daniel chapter uh, 10 and beyond. He's described as a chief prince who protects God's people. And here he is again in Revelation chapter 12, defending God's people, battling against the dragon, and this enrages the dragon. The dragon is furious. So the story continues in chapter 13, where we see two new monstrous creatures emerge. So let's read. The beasts from Revelation 13. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed, and the whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. And then down in verse 11, I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast. It deceived the inhabitants of the earth. So we have two more beasts that emerge after this dragon, one up from the sea and another out from the earth. See, the dragon had lost the battle in heaven, so it sought reinforcements on earth by calling these beasts forth from the sea and the earth. Once more, these beasts begin to stir in us memories of other places in Scripture. If you can think back a couple months ago to Daniel chapter 7, we encountered some other beasts there. Do you remember? That chapter opened up with uh, the churning waters around the sea, uh, and these four beasts come up out from the sea. The first one was like a lion. The second one was like a bear. 
The third one was like a leopard, and the fourth one was not like any of the others, utterly terrifying, and it had ten horns. Right? These are the four beasts from Daniel 7. And here in Revelation 13, we see a beast come up out of the sea, and this beast has ten horns. With It looks like a leopard. It has feet like a bear, and it has a mouth like a lion. Do you see how these picture one another, right? This first beast in Revelation 13 is a super beast combination of all the beasts of Daniel chapter 7. Growing up in the 90s, uh, I can't help but think of uh, loving the TV show Power Rangers, Uh, Every Saturday morning, I was glued to the TV screen, loving uh, every moment of it, dressing up like a Power Ranger, so on and so forth. And I'm reminded of the Zords that the Power Rangers are in, all of these little uh, fighting machines that look like different animals and stuff. And at the end of every episode, the Zords come together and form the Megazord, right? Where it has, you know, the feet of one of them and the arms of another one and so on and so forth. And this is what I see here, right? This is the, the mega zord, mega monster of Revelation. All the beasts of Daniel 7 packed into one big evil beast. And this mega monster super beast roams the earth still to this day. In Daniel, the beasts were described as various kingdoms who crushed and oppressed God's people. But today, there are still forces that seek to crush and oppress, keeping us from following Jesus, keeping us from being faithful to God. And they may take the form of oppressive kingdoms and corrupt governments. But even more than that, the beast roams in whatever there is that might move us to violence or greed, or selfish ambition, or managing our images to appear great. The beast roams in our constant consumerism, in our numbing addictions. You see, the beast is not something that people are automatically afraid of or repulsed by. In verse 3, we read the whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. That's the world we live in. Our world follows violence and greed, follows consumerism and addiction. We are addicted to building ourselves up and destroying our enemies. These are the things that we worship. These are the liturgies of the headlines, the news channels, of our everyday lives. Anytime we allow ourselves to be controlled by the headlines of the day, the latest products and fads, the whims of a political party, fill in the blank. Anytime we are controlled by those things, we are worshiping this beast who longs to be worshiped, who wants to distract and destroy God's people. But here's the deal. This dragon does not only appear through secular trends and temptations. 
Look at the second beast that emerges. In verse 11, it's described as having two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. See, this is one trying to look like a lamb, but if you listen closely, it speaks like a dragon. Throughout history, Satan has often sought to corrupt and work through things that appear to be good, right? We're all too familiar with stories of corrupt officials whose job it is to protect people. We're all too familiar with stories of manipulative families whose job it is to create a home. We're all too familiar with stories of abusive church leaders whose job it is to create a place of worship. Right? Each of these are meant to be places of goodness, of safety. But the enemy loves trying to appear like a lamb while speaking with that age-old dragon voice. There's a whole generation who in many ways, I think, have rightly rejected church because they've seen the abuses that the church has done. They've seen this thing that was meant to follow the Lamb speaking very much like a dragon. But here's the thing, what so many people do not know is that the one that they've rejected was actually a false lamb. The one that they've rejected was actually a false church. The good news is that there is a true lamb. There is a lamb that does not speak and devour like a dragon but whose worthiness comes because he was slain. There is one who does not destroy, but rather gives himself. The true lamb does not take life, but gives life. If only people could know this lamb. If only we could be this kind of church. So as we zoom out, from all of these images, and we hold on to that central image, remember, next to the images of these beasts, what we see is this. In this heavenly throne room, there's the throne, the lamb, and the spirit depicted by these radiant lampstands. The throne, the lamb, and the spirit, right? The Holy Trinity, Father, Son and Spirit seeking to rescue and restore the world. But then on earth, what we see is a dragon and its two beasts, an unholy trinity seeking to deceive and destroy the world. You see, all of these images from Revelation are meant to give us eyes to see past the dragon's facade. They're meant to give us ears to discern the voice of God, the true, worthy lamb that was slain. 
The unholy trinity of the dragon and its beasts wants to be worshipped and will do all it can to get our attention. But Revelation redirects us to the true, holy trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, the throne, the Lamb, and the light of God. So the question before us is, Will we follow the beast or the lamb? Will we live as those redeemed by God or deceived by the dragon? Well, this storyline throughout the book of Revelation offers us two more images meant to stir our hearts and give us clarity. Flip forward to chapter 17. Chapter 17. Revelation chapters 17 through 19 offer us two more women. We see a prostitute and a bride. A prostitute and a bride. Revelation 17, beginning in verse 3. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes, and of the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. This is a picture of humanity seduced by power, controlled by riches, and drunk on violence. This woman does not flee the dragon. Rather, she is riding upon that dragon's beast. She exults in her evils. She delights in her destruction. She is described as Babylon the Great, which reminds us once more of the book of Daniel. Right? The great enemy of God's people who destroyed the temple, carried them off into exile. Now, at the time that the book of Revelation was written, it's been hundreds of years since Daniel's day, since Babylon ruled. But every age has its own Babylon, right? Just as every age continues to be stalked by the dragon and its beasts. And we've experienced it. We know what it is to be stalked and depressed by the enemy. We know what it is to be tempted in every way, to be discouraged and distraught. We know the wounds that the enemy would lash out and give us. But if we're honest, we also know that 
We have followed the ways of Babylon at some point. We too have been seduced by power and riches and tempted to violence. Maybe we haven't destroyed temples or murdered nations, but we've at least harbored bitterness and hatred at times in our hearts, which Jesus said is the same as murdering. Maybe we have not, uh, you know, committed adulteries and things like that, but we've lusted. We've looked at things that were not ours and wanted them. We've harbored jealousy. Jesus says these are the same. Jesus looks deeply into our hearts. We've wished to harm our enemies. We've asserted our own way, right? All of this is living in the way of Babylon. Riding on the back of the beast. And Revelation makes it very clear. Babylon is coming to an end. The beast will be destroyed. Chapter 18 continues with the series of woes pronouncing Babylon's fall. Woe to you, Babylon. Telling Babylon that its day will come to an end. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And then in chapter 19, the woes give way to hallelujahs. As God's people rejoice, as heaven rejoices in the end of evil. Revelation 19 is one hallelujah after another after another. It is this text that the hallelujah chorus is based on. Seattle Symphony is going to be playing it in downtown Seattle in the next week. I love that. These very words announcing the kingdom of God, rejoicing in his everlasting kingdom will be sung right here in the middle of the world that we live in. All of this builds to 19 verse 6, which says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. And then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. And so here we see a final woman enter the scene, the bride. And she is dressed in spotless, white linen, bright and clean. Many of us are thinking, perhaps, I don't feel like that bride. Right? 
We've ridden the beast. We know evil. We've experienced that. But pay attention. These fine linens, bright and clean, were given to her. They're a gift, freely given. Elsewhere in Revelation, God's people depicted as wearing white robes are described as those who had washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. The Lamb has given his life so that we might be redeemed, so that we might be renewed, so that whatever stains and pains we carry will be healed and cleansed. He gives us fine linen, bright and clean to wear. And this is what we have to look forward to. The celebration of a wedding supper. You see, the book of Revelation shows us that no longer will there be the prostitute of Babylon riding the beast. Instead, there will be the spotless bride and the lamb. That is what endures. This is what we have to look forward to. As I'm reading these stories, I'm reminded of of our own wedding feast, Caitlin and and I had five years ago. Um, It's one of my favorite memories. Uh, We had this beautiful layout of, you know, candles and and warm light and stuff, but our our dinner, our wedding feast, was held in a tent, uh, and it was in November, all right? So it was chilly and cold, and in order to go in, you had to walk through the outdoors, uh, and it was this startling shift where you went from the cool November air and stepped into this warm, beautiful, extravagant feast filled with all of our dearest friends and family. I think that's what this feast will be like for all of us. Journeying from cold discomfort into beautiful warmth. And many of you know my story, Caitlin's story. Uh, We went through abandonment, and abuse to find one another. And every one of us goes through our own experiences of abandonment, abuse, pain, and loss. We've all been bit by the serpent, attacked by the dragon, trampled by the beast. But we will be redeemed. We will be saved. The beast will not endure. We are waiting for the supper of the Lamb. And it is as we wait for this beautiful day of redemption that we continue to pray, Come, Lord Jesus, come.